Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What did we just witness, Heath Pierce? What? I don't even... Welcome, everybody, to Kegelas or Weekend Recap. I, I don't even know what I, I'm going to say a few words, I guess, as we just witnessed Liverpool win the Carabao Cup final in the most incredible of fashions, the most amazing nil-nil ever, and then a never-ending penalty shootout. I really thought at some point Klopp and Tuchel we're going to suit up and maybe take one. What just happened, Heath Pierce? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I, do we go beginning to end, end to beginning? There was just chaos. It was an unbelievable match in terms of chances. It felt more like a Community Shield match than it did about uh, a cup final in terms of the way the players approached it. Sometimes they looked casual, went all the way down to penalties, and then obviously the ending. Uh, it just... I mean, where do you want to start, Luis? I'm, I'm, I'm just in shock right now. I, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm actually in shock right now. This is just what an <laughs> unbelievable match. Well, we both wore black because we're just we're dead. We're at yeah. a funeral right now. That's literally what's happening. Good to see you again. Good to see you, everybody. I was away for a week. Thank you for Heath Pierce uh, and Jimmy Conrad, James Ben, Jonathan Johnson, Fabrizio Romano for taking care of business this week. Uh, we just witnessed uh, possibly. I think if you're watching right now, I want some comments from everybody out there. Throw them out. The best nil-nil you've ever seen? I mean, honestly, is it, Heath? I, I, I mean, let's, let's, let's begin from the penalties and then work our way backwards. But the best nil-nil ever, I think, right? Just to answer that one straight away. Yeah, um, unbelievable nil-nil. One of those ones where you start to go, uh, well, do you remember what this game would have been like if there wasn't VAR? Right, if there wasn't some sort of support system where you're going to get some of those close calls right, some of them wrong. I think four goals called back, but the penalties themselves going all the way to the goalkeepers, almost going back to the start again. Your goalkeeper that loses the game for you is the one you sub in because he's a penalty specialist. And then on the flip side, ends up not making any of those saves, not saving right. And the few half chances he had didn't make them. Then has to step up to take the penalty, blasts it. Not even close. It was like I've. It was like a goal kick. It looked like a, an approach to a goal kick. It was an and, extra point, Heath yeah, Pierce. <laughs> it, was, it was outrageous. And that was just the final, that was just the penalties, not to mention all the goals that were called back, all the action that happened, the unbelievable buildup play that we saw, some of the casual defending that took place at times. And then these ebbs and flows of both teams really taking over the game. It was just, wow. Like for a 0 0, I'm, I'm shocked. I, I mean, it would have been like 7 6 pre VAR, right? Of just like, and then controversy around why we need VAR because everything was so tight and so close that it's costing millions of dollars of these teams. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, thank you so much for the comments, everybody. Already pouring in. Keep them coming. Welcome to Kego Lasso, Heath Pierce. LME over here uh, as we recap the weekend. We begin, of course, with the Carabao Cup final. We'll have plenty more to discuss, I promise. The rest of the Premier League, I know that Heath and I are going to break down. Jesse Marsh leads United. Marcelo Yelsa. We'll talk the rest of Europe, a little MLS. Carlito Vela doing his thing. But we have to begin with this game. Uh, we've asked you the best nil-nil ever. Listen, I'm sure if I go back into the catalog of matches, there are better nil-nils. I can't think of one right now. Nicole Brown, I believe... At the very beginning of the comments, you made a really good point. You know, 
Kepa obviously coming in to to do his thing in penalty shootouts, but Edward Mendy's no slouch. I mean, the best goalkeeper, arguably the best out there, definitely by FIFA award standards in the world. He already delivered in AFCON in the similar situation against, by the way, you know, Mohamed Salah as well. So you would have thought, should, you know, should Mendy should have, should he have stayed in? Because he was already, no matter how good you are in penalty shootouts, Heath Pierce, when you like are, have played already a good game, including extra time, you're feeling it, you're, you're, you know, your blood is warm, you're ready to go. You really should just stay regardless of the resume in a penalty shootout from somebody else. Yeah, he hadn't had any touches, uh, Kepa. Obviously, he's a specialist, so to speak, and and you take that risk when you put him in. Uh, but looking back, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think that he could have done the same thing with Mendy. There wasn't anything that, to me, that that showed Kepa's uh, like overt or or overly strong ability to make those plays. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously, you know, Elmi, we're calling him Kepa because nobody wants to have to pronounce the full entire name. No, no, Kepa Arisoalaga. I have no problem with uh, being Peruvian, Heath Pierce. It's more about my our Irish brethren and our Irish producer Des Norris, who really wants to make sure that we mention Liverpool's red side as well because Allison didn't start in this one, but Quivian. Quivian, is that right, Des Norris? Yes, see, I'm telling you, Quiv. No, no, he threw no and right away through the no. <laughs> you try, Heath. Quivian. Quivian. Quivian, Des Norris. Quivian. Quivian Callagher. Close enough. Close enough. That works, you know. Even Screw wars, you, have, wars, have, wars, have, wars have been started for less of pronouncing something uh, wrong like that. But, but justified, yeah. Heath, from um, Jurgen Klopp's uh, decision to not have Allison here. Uh, and have uh, the Irish for Kevin. I remember Kevin Egan telling us that as well, actually. Yeah, let's call him Kevin. Uh, but, you know, do you, you know, justified for Allison to sit on the bench and have the Irishman step in. Yeah, I think that's always a hard part. You know, I we, we talk about this a lot, obviously, through the lens of American goalkeeper Zach Steffen and, like, what happens when you get to these finals that your backup goalkeeper is usually playing in, things like that. And to stand strong all the way through a final, I think, is really respectful. Again, this game was a really interesting one in terms of the approach. It didn't feel you know, like a big cup final. I mean, it did for the the fans, the atmosphere, the gameplay itself, but it just felt a little more wide open than you would normally see, right? If you would, normally would have Man City against some smaller team here, you would, you would be focusing on like the beauty of Man City and breaking them down and creating chances. But this was like side to side, chance to chance. And obviously uh, I think it's great, great opportunity for for this goalkeeper to, to, to play in a final, get, get the result and also, you know, get that vindication for, for Klopp uh, sticking with it. Yeah, absolutely. Dan Kane making a good point. Just loyal to the man that took him there in the first place. Absolutely. Sometimes a manager, though, gets a little, you know, nervous and thinks, oh, it's a final. We need the very best. But no, you got to stick with momentum. And to that point, I do wonder why, you know, Keparisabalaga came in uh, instead of Mendy when Mendy was doing such a good job. If you're a Chelsea fan, by the way, I want to hear from you. Like, honestly. You, you know, because we'll talk about the game in a second, but what do you feel about Kepa going in? And I feel for Kepa, honestly. Because it's not his job to take a penalty. That's just like basically the last straw, right? Uh, even I though Gallagher scored a beauty. He, he, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you should be able to at least challenge or force a save of some kind. I mean, that was one of the worst takes I've probably ever seen from the approach to the hit to the, the moment it left the ground. Yeah. You, you knew exactly where it was going. There was not even like a, a directional type of thing on it. It was dead middle. So and you I'm know like, that in training during the week, there is no way they even anticipated the fact that maybe Kepa had to take a penalty. That's basically it. I don't know. I mean, 
at times goalkeepers will take penalties on each other. You know, you'll go through mm-hmm. the phases. You'll see players who who are feeling it. You'll have guys that are sort of like you'll kind of walk through like who's who's confident to take a penalty so that it's not the manager picking those types of things. And so usually they take strikes on each other anyway. Like in training, you'll see goalkeepers doing that even when they're just messing around. Um, you're only you're, you're you're at the penalty spot. I mean, there's you're not that far from the goal. Hey, listen, uh, and it's what you know when you're like seven years old, right? Don't lean back. You know, don't put your foot too much under that ball. Just like shoulders forward, etc. And he, yeah, it was just an and, extra point. <laughs> and like you mentioned, LME, you know, Mendy uh, got penalties and proved himself uh, on PKs in Afcon, and so. Yep. You know, it wasn't like you were. It wasn't like you had this huge discrepancy. You have one of the best goalkeepers in the world up making saves. Why wouldn't he be able to make penalty saves? And obviously, again, this is hindsight because you had another player um, like Kepa, who's who who has a reputation for being able to make saves on penalties. So it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a coin flip, right? But then when you go through ten rounds and he almost guessed wrong more often than not, almost got a foot on it, you know, almost had a hand on it. The few half saves that he had, he wasn't sort of big. He didn't cover a lot of ground. When he when he left early on things, I just wonder sort of what was he seeing or what was he prepping for um, leading up to the week? Because you would prep for those, right? You would look at old videotapes. You would see where these guys normally go. You have sort of your cheat sheet to prep for the players you're gonna you're gonna have to say, uh, save penalties from. That it wasn't necessarily. It didn't seem necessarily that. Again, it's fluid, right? Somebody who shoots left could shoot right, middle, left, right, everything like that. It's fluid, so it's not like you have. Uh, uh, you you do try to get that edge, but ultimately the player decides where they want to go. And so I don't want to put too much into that, but it certainly didn't seem like it would have made a difference from Mindy uh, to Kepa in, in that situation. Yeah, the added pressure, of course, that everybody was just hitting them. Everybody, including Kelleher. So like as soon as Kepa steps up, it's like you feel the nerves. Oh my God, everybody's got the momentum. What's going to happen to me? I will say this though, and Natalie, I read your comment. I feel sorry for Kepa Rizabalaga as well. Uh, but I will say this because this includes the rest of the game, Chelsea fans, and anybody that's really like pointing fingers at Kepa, the game could have been won in regular time, Chelsea. Definitely in the first half. I mean, uh, well, let's talk a little bit. Lukaku was dropped again, mm-hmm. Keith Pierce, uh, denied by a very dubious offside as well. VAR and Chelsea in itself could really think about, really, was that offside? I mean, come on. Uh, also, four goals were scratched off in this one. Three goals for Chelsea were scrapped off, and Matip's header as well. So, you know, there was a lot of things going on in regular time that I think, yes, Liverpool, obviously, Edward Mendy with that ridiculous double save, including from Sadio Mane. But Chelsea, you had plenty. I mean, Christian Pulisic had a great first half, Heath Pierce, but he really should have put it away, I think, uh, on maybe more than one occasion. Well, Mohamed Salah had that uh, opportunity where he, yep. he underhit it, maybe was going to go wide, but had the opportunity there. Christian Pulisic, from the very start, to set the tone, should have finished his. Mason Mount had a huge chance come to him that he missed as well. I mean, these, these were clear-cut chances. There were some unbelievable saves happening as well, some good combination play. But overall, it was like end-to-end, right? There wasn't anybody. It was like they decided, both teams decided from the start, let's make this entertaining. Let's not play where Chelsea's going to sit back and not allow anything and every, the whole game's going to happen in front of them. And Liverpool, same thing. And obviously, I think, you know, a big part of that was was the 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 injury and the warm-up that changed the dynamic, I think, of Liverpool's approach to the game. But overall, yeah, it's I mean... So it literally could have been five five goals to five from both teams. And both teams would go in these spurts of five, ten minutes where they're controlling play and come up with real legitimate goal-scoring chances where, you know, I don't know what the XG um, on that game was, but, I mean, there was a lot of big chances that I'm I, I'm still continued. Like, I, I was sitting with a group and was we were just like, how how could this possibly finish 0-0? Um, and then at the end, it was like each team went through the phases, even in the extra time of like, 
okay, Liverpool's playing to get to a, a penalty shootout. And then all of a sudden, uh, Chelsea hit the wall and they were playing to get to a penalty shootout. It just was this constant sort of like back and forth that, yeah, what a game. I mean, listen, like I'm sure there is one, as I said, but to me, the best nil-nil I've seen definitely in the modern game. And uh, the only part of me as well is that is that offside, that dubious offside. That to me, Heath, I don't know. I, I it's, it's tough, man. Well, do you think and it was I'm a saying, foul? Would it, would it have been a foul to you uh, even? Because it didn't seem like a foul. He let him go. He doesn't have him wrapped up, but then they called the offside on him. Um, yeah, that's the, the 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 fouls give or take is the is the is the offside call. I'm like, this is why I've said it a while ago, where there needs to be like some daylight. Mm-hmm. You know, Lukaku's offside call too was so tight when they drew the line I'm that you're saying. just like unbelievable. You yeah. know, you had that you had the goal called back uh, for for the the assist from from Mane that that you know obviously um, I'm blanking on center back was called back from from. Foot being offside, also holding the player, and then you have the the other side of things where it's just this really, really tight line that it's unbelievable to me. And the amount of times, if I'm a fan in those stadiums of either of those teams, that goals got called back for offside where they're already on their way to celebrating, and the stadium erupts only to kind of like have that player glance over the shoulder, see the linesman, flag is up. You're just like, this is insane. How many goals there's there there are called back? How many goal scoring chances there were uh, that 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 didn't end up as goals? It was just yeah. I, I don't again. I'm I'm like flustered with where to even take a a, a moment just because I'm trying to process that game right now. Yeah, I think we did a pretty good job uh, talking about it, starting from the penalty situation. Uh, and by the way, seeing some nice photos of the team, Chelsea just rounding up around Kepa, Arisabalaga, making sure yeah, that he knows that it's not. You know, you lose as a team, you don't lose as an individual, of course, so everybody together. But Liverpool, you lift the League Cup for the ninth time. And by the way, this is Jurgen Klopp's first, you know, uh, title, I believe. Uh, first League Cup title, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Des Norris, but it's definitely the ninth for Liverpool as well. And Sadio Mane continues, by the way. Yep, it is his first League Cup. I think it's like Cup 10 title. years. I think it's 10 years or something like that since they won a domestic um, cup competition. Something. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I believe so. Yeah, that's right. And I think it could be Jurgen Klopp's first domestic trophy, actually, outside, obviously, the Premier League. But that's it. Liverpool, well done. By the way, you know, uh, just as, you know, obviously, there are more important things in life than football. And we're going through some horrific moments right now with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, of course. And, uh, you know, it's no secret that Chelsea, of course, you know, uh, and Roman... Abramovich, uh, in terms of what's happened, by the way, this week, we're going to have a really good interview chat with Rob Harris. He's going to break it all down for us. So stay tuned for that later this week. So we're not going to go too much here, but there was some pregame noise regarding this. Uh, Abramovich handing over stewardship to club's charitable foundation uh, with a statement about events in Ukraine. A statement read a little bit. The situation in Ukraine is horrific and devastating. Chelsea FC's thoughts are with everybody in Ukraine. Everyone in the club is is praying for peace. Interesting, you know, how there's no condemnation of Russia, obviously, for yeah. reasons. <laughs> yeah, this is the one where, you know, you start to pick apart every word because every word means something when you're making a statement. And when they call it the situation in Ukraine, it becomes very neutral, right? Of like mm. this thing that's happening in Ukraine and and it's not actually a condemnation. There's no saying that it's an like sort of unprovoked uh, attack. It's not a war. It's not these things they call it the situation. And I think you know while 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 I know that there's a lot of red tape in some of this stuff uh, with with anybody and everybody, you know when you put out a statement, those are scrutinized for every single word from a legal level down to like you know passing through these extremely expensive PR firms that they're working with, especially crisis management and 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 emergency and crisis management PR. 
that they put these sort of words in there that we as fans and fans of the club and people that are looking at this saying, this was an opportunity uh, to say things the right way. And, and you, you left a lot of ambiguity in there that just doesn't do right by the situation, right? And, and, and quite frankly, the world has responded incredibly towards this um, differently than we've seen in the Middle East with, with, with conflicts and things like that, that people have started to sort, sort of come out to have a voice uh, in these types of situations. So it's, it's, it's disheartening to know that you're calling these horrific events and stuff, but you're not actually identifying what, what it is. And so, again, you can pick, pick these apart all day long. And so uh, I'm just trying to sort of t- gather as much information as I can uh, to, to, to understand uh, the, the situation better and then also reflect on, on the way in which people that are key stakeholders with regard to a club, with regard to their connection to to Russia, to Ukraine, and these types of situations. No, absolutely right, and that's what we, you know, we 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 want to discuss this because you know uh, we're not a political commentary platform, but we are a human one, and and football is part of society, and how it's obviously you know being part of this, uh, as you mentioned, this movement. Really, what's happening so far? But we're going to talk way more about it on later this week with with Rob Harris, uh, Associated Press, Rob Harris, who obviously you know, is a, a key uh, expert on this. By the way, Gary Neville had some interesting words as part of that, you know, to reply of that Abramovich statement. He said, um, I thought it was cowardly to throw a hospital pass to the good people on the Charity Foundation board. It's quite clear he runs the club with Marina uh, and Czech. Top six owners are insulated from reality. They think that they can put a smart PR team around them uh, to con us. What do you think of that, Heath? Yeah, I, I agree because it's not like handing over stewardship means like I still own the ship. Yeah. I'm just I'm just gonna let somebody drive it until this thing blows over, right? It there wasn't it, it, it there was just so much fluff in it that is like, yeah, I'm gonna step out of the way, you know, without any sort of like people are saying, oh, he's giving away the club. He's you know, he's 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 gifted it, and you're just like, that's not what the statement means. Again. I, just as I mentioned before, with with the, with the statement of lack of condemnation, there was just a lot of ambiguity in handing over stewardship to a a, a foundation, which is sort of, again, the uh, like a brilliant PR spin that we will we will find out in time what all of that means, uh, you know, what what the extent of that actually means. But I agree with those those comments that it, it does feel like it's a, it's an attempt to 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 take some attention away and act like you're doing something. Um, greater than you're actually doing. So um, obviously as well, uh, because there's so many moving parts here, FIFA had a statement as well uh, regarding, you know, what's, you know, because we've already seen, you know, uh, Poland, Robert Lewandowski, you know, speaking out, they refuse to play Russia in the playoffs. And then the other side of that bracket, Czech Republic and and Sweden, they also will, um, you know, boycott that game as well. And then FIFA has, has said a few things as well regarding, you know, what's going on. And uh, the latest is uh, no international competition should be played on the territory of Russia with home matches being played on neutral territory. The member association representing Russia should participate in any competition under the name of Football Union of Russia and not Russia. No flag or anthem of Russia will be used in matches where teams from the Football Union of Russia uh, participate. So FIFA will continue the ongoing dialogue with the IOC, UEFA, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I mean, we saw the same in the that? Olympics, right? They, they, they did the same in the Olympics where they let yes. the ROC team in, right? The, I think it's the Russian Olympic Committee, um, but they weren't representing Russia. Uh, they were representing the represent uh, the Olympic Committee. And so, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be interested to see 
what these players do from these nations that are going to protest these matches, right? Because the conflict there is the consequences um, that 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 happen if you were to withhold or or refuse to play in these games, right? What? How far are you willing to go? It's one thing to make a statement early and put your foot down. It's another thing to follow through with that. And I'm interested to sort of see what happens in these in in these brackets uh, if they really do protest these types of games. Obviously, there's been a number of Russians that have stood up against uh, the situation and, and they're not, those players in the national team are not uh, at fault for what's going on right now, but there does need to be a conversation and consequences need to be had that we're seeing across the board, not just in these, in these playoff matches. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Olympic committee obviously had to do more with the doping uh, issues uh, regarding them, but it's still similar. Right, but it things. still went on there. There, there was, course. there was an option to it's the same totally and, yeah. and then just put a new label on the Russia, Russian, uh, Olympic team and so they just made a switch and it was due to doping in a completely different scenario but it the other result was a permanent was it was a banning from the Olympics which didn't take place yep absolutely followed by the way Tariq Panja as well he's doing some really good reporting there with the New York Times and he's saying as well that apparently FIFA are in uh, conversation with Poland uh, Czech Republic and Sweden and you know no yet no decision made on 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 obviously the message from those countries saying that they refuse to play Russia in the playoffs. There's a lot going on. The most important thing, of course, is what's happening in Ukraine. And all of us here are, are constantly thinking and, and trying to do anything we can, as little, even as it is a message uh, of support uh, for the Ukrainian people. Uh, so our thoughts are with it. And remember, stay tuned with Keo Lasso, because this week we have plenty more with Rob Harris as he talks about, obviously, what happens with everything and why Roman Abramovich decided to do this and what's going to happen regarding the World Cup, etc., Etc. All right, we're going to do a real hard transition here uh, because uh, obviously there was uh, a lot of action. Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool didn't play in the Premier League. They played each other in the League Cup, but there was Premier League action. He appears, and we're going to do some very quick uh, just takes here as we show some results on the screen. West Ham get a big win over Wolves, by the way, who lost to Arsenal days before, but West Ham are staying put, trying to get that Champions League spot. Man City? Saved by a dubious VAR call. Uh, should Everton have gone a penalty there, but they win. Phil Foden goal there. Manchester United wasteful against Watford. Uh, uh, you know, honestly, it's not Ralph Ranić anymore. Get these players to sort themselves out, to be perfectly honest. The Jekyll and Hyde Tottenham, of course, as well as they go nuts over Leeds United, who, by the way, of course, have said goodbye to Marcelo Bielsa and Jesse Marsh in contention there. We're going to talk about that. In a second. And 259 days later, Christian Eriksen makes his return. Aside from the Leeds thing, because we're going to get into it, Heath, any, anything worthy of note there? Yeah, I mean, obviously Newcastle getting another win over Brentford. Brentford, who started the season so well, continue to fall. I think that's a really interesting storyline to follow. Villa, obviously, getting that win over Brighton, I think is huge. Yes, Man sir. City, Man City left it late. were much better in the second half than they were in the first half, but still continued to get a result. Uh if you if you told me before this game, if, if Man City and Liverpool were playing off, and I think in that April 10th matchup, I would say Liverpool were the better team. They didn't look so necessarily. It looked a little more open than I expected. Uh, and that's what happens when Thiago is not in, in, in the team. Um, and then finally, Manchester United. Uh, you're right. This is not Ranić. They had 50 chances. They had Ronaldo hit the post twice. You had uh, Bruno Fernandes miss the most easy of opportunities that is usually automatic from one one-on-one with the goalkeeper, a header on the back post that wasn't even close on a little clip from Ronaldo, just opportunities like that, that you look and Man United were doing a good ball of getting the ball in white areas and whipping the ball in. They had plenty of chances that when you finish like that, you, you can't pin those results 
uh, on a manager or a style of play because they completely dominated. They had tons of clear-cut chances and didn't capitalize. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, you know, United are fourth right now, 47 points. West Ham are fifth with 45 points. But Arsenal, also in 45, have three games in hand yeah. on both those teams. So yeah, Pete, I mean, you should think that they should do it. Your, your Arsenal should take care of business here. Well, if, if Arsenal actually went out, which is really hard to say that they would do, but in the form that they're in, there's certainly a possibility of that. That would actually put them within like three points of, of Chelsea in th- third place. I think mm. that is the, is the way that math adds Correct. up. And then you look at the Wolves falling out uh, the last two games, giving up you know all six points uh, to, to, to uh, your, your West Ham and your Arsenal. It's a really tight race in there. And then, like you mentioned before, which we haven't touched on, Spurs who Kulisevsky, uh, Harry Kane, Son, all of these players playing fantastically well right now as we continue to hear more and more from Conte, who nobody knows, like, is, is this a good thing for the team? Is it bad? He makes these public statements, which I would be demoralized if I was a player, but then we see a great response from the team, and then he might say something again, and they'll have a poor performance. So, yeah, it is the Jekyll and Hyde uh, with them that I'm just like, are these players immune to this criticism at this point, and they're just trying to figure it out, or is he actually doing something positive that they're responding to? Yeah, if you're watching, by the way, Kegolasso, Heath Pierce, LME, Weekend Recap, uh, throw in your thoughts over anything Premier League worthy and throw in your thoughts and questions about the next topic right now as Leeds United and Marcelo Bielsa say goodbye. And Jesse Marsh is, you know, per Fabrizio Romano uh, and others as well, reputable reporters that Jesse Marsh is now basically all but set to take over. You know, Hey, I said this the other day, Luis. I you, said I had it. I had a little birdie on my shoulder that I knew that's involved with the club, and they had brought those two things together for the first time, and in a in a way that you know when somebody says something to you and you go, "Oh, you know something," you yeah. know, and not in this sort of like you know, I'm a you know, I know people who know people yeah. like that. We, we can't of- get into it too much, but I will call Heath uh, Romano because uh, uh, yeah. before I left for vacation, we had this conversation, and you did. You had a little birdie say a few things saying, you know, uh, because there are already reports, obviously, of the interest that Leeds United have in Brendan Aronson mm-hmm. and then how he should be coming in the summer. And part of it, of course, is the relationship that he has with Jesse Marsh, of course. And, you know, the pieces were falling, Heath Pierce, and, and you called it. And, and look what's happened. Marcelo Bielsa, goodbye. First, before we get into Jesse Marsh, by the way, you know, I, I, I've covered Marcelo Bielsa, you know, a lot. I'm going to hopefully write something for the site on Monday. What he did for this club, I don't think will ever be able to be replicated. This is a, a man that, need, before he takes on any job, the first thing he wants to do is look at the community, look at the city, look at the people, and learn them. Learn from them. Talk to them. Try and understand them. What they're all about. And that's exactly what he did. So all these things about like why didn't he learn English? He did something that was way more valuable, which is understand the people. And it's something that I can relate to it a, a lot because of like my own journey into England and stuff. Marcelo Bielsa went into Leeds United, a city, a town, a community that's just like it's not just passionate about the game. It's like it 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 dies with it. It absolutely and it's been dying to return to the Premier League. And he did it. And he did it into a, not just in a way that it was like fortuitous or there was this happenstance he mirrored the city sentiment and that's something that you just cannot you just cannot replicate it's unbelievable what he did so you know uh andrea radrizani said this has been the toughest decision i have had to make during my tenure at leeds united 
taking into account all the success Marcelo has had at the club. I mean, Marcelo leaving is massive. He Anything on that before we get into, into Jesse? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those sort of moments where he's done so much for the club. He is a legendary figure. He has brought them back to uh, what they were once known as in terms of not quite to those heights, but brought them back to the Premier League and, and, and was willing to sacrifice his name uh, and put himself out there to go on that journey. Uh, we've obviously had an ch- opportunity now through documentaries to sort of see the behind the scenes of how that all came together and how things have come together. And so it's hard, and I totally understand the sentiment of it's hard to have a club legend or somebody that's so beloved by the fans make a transition. But again, it has to be, and we're going to get into this Jesse Marsh thing of the style in which they play, who's going to be the one that takes the baton and carries that forward, right? And they play wide open, which is great and because it's a high-energy, high-octane style of football, but now it needs to have a little more structure uh, to, one, secure – uh, themselves in the, in the Premier League, uh, but two, set, set them up for success from a cultural standpoint of like what's what's leads in the new generation style of play for the foreseeable future. And I think there's a lot more connective tissue between what what he's done and where Jesse Marsh or or somebody in the Gagan press type of thing can get them because you've got the energy there, right? It's not a slow build up play or methodical. It's it is high press. It is wide, not high press, but it is wide open. It is high energy. And when you can shift that energy into Jesse Marsh or the Red Bull football style, that's a little more of that Gagan press, you know, it puts your team in better positions to win the ball in higher spots up the field. Use that energy uh, in more efficient ways instead of individual moments or the team, you know, flying all players forward. It just adds a little bit more structure. Um, but first things first, that window is very small to keep them from relegation and then getting results, right? So it's it's that's where I worry about any of these things at the point of the season that we're in. We're at the end of February. What does it mean for uh, to change a manager manager has to get buy-in from those players, has to earn the respect of those players. Those players have to buy into a system while trying to get results uh, that are looking towards the future. Yeah, there are a few talking points here that you just brought up there. And uh, thank you for, if you just joined us, we're talking about Leeds United, Marcelo Viesa, Jesse Marsh, et cetera, Heath Pierce, LME over here, Weekend Recap. Kate, go lasso, send your questions, your comments, especially if you're a Leeds fan, I want to hear from you. But there are two things here regarding Jesse Marsh that you brought up. One is the tactical side of things. Uh, I'm very curious about that. And and part of that, a sort of, uh, you know, sub B category part is, you know, how little of the time he has to rectify these things as well. So, you know, that to me is a major thing. You mentioned the press. I think they're going to be very similar press-wise. But Grace Robertson said a really good point earlier today on Twitter, which is like, you know, he likes his sonal sort of marking. So that's going to be a change. And also... Leeds United fans right now, the thing that they're suffering the most is they're so vulnerable the moment the opponent enters the second half. Jesse Marsh has a lot to do there. So the question is here, Heath, just from a tactical perspective, because there's another part that I'm going to bring up in a second, is is Marsh setting himself up to to be the fall guy if they get relegated? Because I don't know. We're talking about we're entering March, Heath Pierce. And as you're talking, I just want to look at Leeds United's schedule. I mean, they could be lucky enough, but, you know, Burnley's picking up steam. Walford just grabbed a point. You know, Norwich is Norwich, but then there's, you know, uh, Brentford, Leeds, Everton, Newcastle. I think they're finally doing good things, but you can't completely alienate yourself from the fact that Leeds United could get relegated. And it's Marsh entering a situation right now where he's not going to be able to have enough time to do it. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I think... uh... When you look at how do you take sort of the sinking ship and stabilize it, save the season, and look at next season, you have to, you know, like I just mentioned, 
have somebody that can transition from what they are now and the vulnerabilities that they have and make it incrementally better, you know, because they can, they can still score goals. They can still attack, but right now they just seem very low confidence that they need a few of these things that if you were to take another manager and bring them in, that's a bunker manager and say, Hey, we're just going to scrap out and fight results. That's an extreme change from what they're the way in which they're playing now. Right. That's a, that's a hard buy-in to be able to get results that to get the buy-in from the players. I think, the way in which Jesse March would have to approach it, if if he is the, the the selection for manager, is that incremental change that's sort of just saying, hey, we do press, but here's how we're going to press a little bit different. Hey, I know we man we man mark around the field, which is insane in 2022, but uh, you know, uh, all respect to, to to Bielsa, we're going to switch to a little bit of mo- more zoning, and we're going to actually start to work the tactical side of this. That's just going to make us 10 or not even 10. 5% better. And if we can be 5% better, that's going to keep us in games longer. Like you said, in the second half, it's going to keep us in games longer to be able to get our chances to score and keep us in games longer so that we're not giving up one, two, three, four goals in matches. And I think that could be the difference that keeps them in the league now. But then the next part is sort of a, how do you now go out and build a team that's, that's built to, to evolve uh, this team from what they were over the last two years into into the future. And by the way, uh, shout out to Andres Clavijo, by the way, who was the interpreter, the Colombian interpreter of Marcelo Bielsa. He is also a first-team coach analyst, so he should still around, but shout out to him. Don't undervalue the good work that he did uh, with Marcelo. But I think, you know, something will be easier in terms of communication, I think, in many ways as well. But they conceded 20 goals in February. It appears that's a record yeah. in the Premier League. Oh. Uh yep. That, by the way, we're going to answer your question in a second, but go ahead. Yeah, the last thing I was going to say is is that there's also uh, what what I think about the Jesse Marsh Fall guy thing is that the uh, U.S. or American ownership stake from the 49er Enterprises, I think they're called 49 Enterprises, um, is increasing and increasing. I think they're up to 40 percent and are looking at a full takeover over the next couple of years. So I know that there is a need or will for an American or U.S. influence now. This wouldn't be sort of a nepotism of like, we're going to put up this guy that we know that's American. He's going to have to earn it and prove himself. Uh, so I think that there might be, you know, if they were to go down, man, you never know what that means when you go down. You certainly, from a fan standpoint, you're going to have people turn their back on Jesse Marsh. I'm but just saying right now, Leeds yeah. fans right now are saying, like, this is big shoes to fill. I, I, I've interviewed Jesse, you know, him. like, I'm such a big fan of him as a person and as a manager. I have no doubt that he's going to go in there and be ready. I'm just I'm hoping that he elevates himself enough to get the good enough results. Leeds still have to play Chelsea, Manchester City, Arsenal, uh, a Watford that's going to be fighting away at Watford, uh, Norwich that's going to be fighting. So, you know, there are there are still some some key games. Brighton as well. That won't be easy. So we'll see. Dan, do we think Leeds was afraid USMNT might go after March if they don't qualify for 2022? That's why. They made the move. Now, uh, what do you think, Heath? I, I, I think that the, the the wheels were already in motion a while ago, I think. I believe there were, the, you know, just in case Bielsa wasn't going to re-sign because he's a one-year a contract guy. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, it's it, it'd be really hard to read into the U.S. men's national team situation right now. There's obviously a fear in general of, like, what happens when this guy gets picked up and he's not available anymore uh, because – it's not like you're replacing Bielsa with a well-known or well, like I guess, well-rounded uh, winning manager for a club the size of Leeds. You're bringing in a Jesse Marsh who's had uh, mixed levels of success in his tenure as a manager. So I can see, um, I can see Dan's argument on this because it feels a little bit pushed or rushed or forced for things that I don't understand or see. Um, but it also could just be the open marketplace of saying we know Bielsa is not the answer. It's the right time to change. Who's available? 
right? And Jesse Marsh might be a stopgap. It might be a short answer. And then there might not be any reading into the U.S. landscape or ownership groups and all these things. And it could just be like, hey, this is the best guy we know is available. We think he can come in and make the changes that we need to save us in the Premier League. We'll figure out the rest. Brendan Aronson reportedly uh, off to Leeds in the summer. So we have to keep track with that. Don't forget the good relationship they have as well. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got La Liga, El Gran Derby, as well as some other quick fire notes from the Spanish side of things, as well as Serie A, because both Milan teams dropped some points as well. Some MLS, because MLS is back. And some final thoughts. He, Piers, LME, Kegolazo, we can recap. We'll be right back. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thank you for being here. Gigo Lasso Weekend Recap. Heath Pierce and LME. We're here to break it all down. We've already talked the Premier League. We've talked Carabao Cup. Let's discuss, of course, some Spain. El Gran Derby. Sevilla beats Real Betis 2-1. By the way, the atmosphere in this one was amazing. Man, the reason why this game was so good, Heath Pierce. Is obviously the environment and everything like that, but they're both going, they're both going for it in the top four as well. And Sevilla is not only trying to stay in the top four as well as Real Betis, but they're trying to win the whole thing and keep up with Real Madrid as well. So Claudio Bravo, by the way, a horror show there, gives away a penalty, fails to stop Munir's shot. Uh, Sevilla were two nothing up. Betis get one, but it was just a consolation goal from Sergio Canales, a big game. And some other quick fire notes, by the way. Real Madrid wins 1-0, Atleti 2-0 against Celta. 19-year-old Jeremy Pino puts four past Espanyol. And uh, as we take, by the way, Barcelona and Athletic Bilbao, they play later. But Dest and Dani Alves in the same 11. Let's start just anywhere. I mean, Sevilla, man. Are they, can, they, can, they, can they really go back to one here, Heath Pierce, and overtake Real Madrid? It, it's it's tough to say. I mean, Karim Benzema just continues to to deliver at the club level for Real Madrid. That I just I find it hard to think that he's going to hit a dry streak or that they're going to hit a dry streak long enough to to allow Sevilla in and that Sevilla can capitalize on that. What I'm interested in is I think that they'll finish uh, in 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 the top two. Obviously, I don't think anybody else will catch them. But what's interesting to me is when you look at at Batiste, Atletico Madrid. Barcelona, and then you, as, as you mentioned, Jeremy Pino uh, scoring, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, four? Four goals? Four goals, Espanol. man. You four know, goals. Just the ability to have these players that are continuing to rise uh, in the midst of a season that you're having a fantastic season, that that top four finish is is a little bit tricky for Barcelona or Villarreal, Atletico Madrid and Real Batiste, all of them fighting for a top four finish. So for me, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting to see the way that this plays out. Obviously, Atletico Madrid, 
when I say around uh, kind of finding a run of form, it's 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 two games in a row for them at this point where where they're they're two wins in a row. Obviously not in the best of form, but they're still hanging out and and lingering there. Uh, and then Batiste, same thing. You see some great moments from them and Sevilla. That win really separates them from the pack, uh, which I think is, is is a statement for them. And and like you said, to go back to your uh, very first question or your only question on this. Maybe that is the difference. Maybe they do have the ability because they, they they can take down a Real Batiste when it matters most, when the pressure is on. That if there is a slip up from Real Madrid, uh, can they close that gap? Can they can they make can they go down to three points and at some point can they overtake them? I still think it feels. And, and again, this might be me just preferential treatment of a bigger team with more depth than a, than a Sevilla necessarily has because Sevilla does have some decent depth right now and not believing in their ability to say, okay, Real Madrid have to slip up twice and then Sevilla have to go perfect for a long time it just makes me yeah makes me wonder if, if they have the ability to that but I'm happy to be proven wrong if that continues to to, to go on its way because I would love to see Sevilla overtake Real Madrid and win a title yeah 100 percent Monchi doing some good work by the way I said that Barcelona Athletic Bilbao we're going to play later they're actually playing right now nil nil in that game but Real Madrid with 60 points Sevilla with 54 this is not over by any means as we enter March so there is Liga, I Liga, I do believe, especially the race for the top four as Barcelona keep playing and Atletico Madrid sticks around with that top four, fourth spot right now. All right, well, let's talk Serie A, uh, Heath Pierce, because they're definitely a Scudetto uh, title race here. Both Milan teams dropped points on Friday, leaving the door wide open for Napoli to once again close the gap, who are playing right now against Lazio. But that's still nil-nil at this point. Uh, so the race for the Scudetto is tight. All right. So listen, I'm going to analyze today's massive clash between Lazio and Napoli tomorrow on a special pod. We're going to tape with uh, Paramount Plus duo Matteo Bonetti and Andre Cordero. And we're also going to be previewing next week's Coppa Italia semifinal first legs. It's a Milan derby and Dusan Vlaovic returning to Fiorentina. So it's super tasty. But any thoughts from Serie A, Heath Pierce? Because a lot went on. Of course, Juventus, Dusan Vlavic did his thing against Empoli. Uh, Venezia loses 3-1 to Verona. Uh, Gio Simeone hat-trick, by the way, as well. Anything from Serie A? Yeah, I mean, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is Roma left it till the 99th minute uh, oh, for a Tammy Abraham uh, penalty to win theirs against uh, Spezia or Spezia. Um, and then uh, yeah, yeah. They're even on points with Atalanta, Lazio, who are still nil-nil at this point uh, on that race to climb up the table because Roma are seventh right now. Right. Keep going, yeah. and, and also, I, I watched the, the Verona-Venezia game, which I wouldn't recommend unless you wanted to see Simeone play and see Americans play at Venezia because it wasn't the most beautiful match from Venezia, and they're going to really struggle to stay up if, if, if they're as leaky as they are at, at the defense. Yeah. But, but those... Uh, Simeone Hattrick was was phenomenal. They were just all opportunistic chances that that he finished uh, and broke them apart when they were in disarray. And obviously, I think he's climbing the table. The Vlaovic brace keeps him higher um, on the Golden Boot race. But but Simeone, uh, there's something in his future that I'm not sure what the right club for him is. But the, the rate in which he's scoring, uh, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I want him for Villa. I've said it a few times, by the way. I hope that happens. But there you have it, Paramount Plus. Look at all those sexy games. A Milan oh, derby yeah. and Dusan Vlaovic returns to face Fiorentina. And by the way, Piotek, uh, we talked to him here on this show. And we'll have Dre Cordero and Matteo Bonetti as well 
to preview it all on this show. We have plenty more, by the way, Sedia content coming your way in the next few weeks. So, so get really excited for that. All right. And by the way, Napoli Lazio stays nil-nil as we tape. Heath Pierce, let's go to MLS, baby. Carlos Vela, Charlie Candle, as my boy Herc Gomez likes to say. And of course, that's his actual English translation. Mm. Carlos Vela with a hat trick. It was a beautiful hat trick as LAFC took care of business in their opening game. Uh, Colorado was right. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. And a tough start for Charlotte, Pat Nuna and FC Cincinnati as well. Man, they got killed. What do you take from MLS, my friend? I mean, Carlos Vela, you got to be happy there. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of argument. He started at the nine spot uh, in the game. And obviously, if you, you were following LAFC last year, Chicho Rango was sort of their revelation when Carlos Vela was out. Uh, when he came back, he stored, was still scoring records of goals per game and things like that. Actually started on the bench. Carlos Vela played the nine, ends up with a hat trick. If you go back again to the end of last season, they played Colorado to try to get into the playoffs and were absolutely battered by Colorado, who won the Western Conference. And so there was a lot of revenge in this one. Chiefs run those first game as a manager, and it was just a convincing win. Um, they made some offseason signings. Maxime Cropot, who plays for Canada's national team, is also uh, is a backup for that. But yeah, just uh, a lot uh, a lot of great things happening, a lot of fun storylines. Pato scored for Orlando City. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't heard that name in a while, yes, Pato is playing for Orlando City, uh, was once sort of the best young player in the world, and, and to see him score I think is a really important one to, to, that will help his future uh, for Orlando City. And then the final thing that I wanted to say about Major League Soccer is Cincinnati getting absolutely pummeled by uh, Austin, who aren't the great, greatest team, but showing that Cincinnati continue to have some major struggles in the league. And there was a beautiful bicycle, bicycle kick from Chara over the weekend against the, 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 the New England Revolution. Hey, Heath Pierce, we got breaking news. Jesse Marsh is confirmed per Fabrizio Romano. So please tell me, what do you think now? Jesse Marsh, an American, returns to England as a manager. He will, well, Bob Riley was Swansea, Wales. Okay, fair enough. But Jesse Marsh returns. I mean, I mean listen, as an American, how amazing is this to see a head coach in the Premier League of a very good team, by the way, who's just down on their luck right now. What do you make of it? Jesse March is confirmed as the manager of Leeds United. Yeah, speaking from a purely biased perspective of being an American fan and wanting to see the growth of the sport here, I think it's a huge opportunity. Obviously, we kind of look at it with skeptical eyes in the way that Bob Bradley was sort of the scapegoat and sort of kicked out of Swansea very, very quickly uh, when I thought that most managers would probably be given a larger window given the context of a team that was already struggling uh, when he got there. But for Jesse Marsh, I think his age, his willingness to adapt to new environments. If you remember in, in, in Austria and Germany, he, the first thing he did is learn German, immerse himself into things. He's a high intensity coach, demands a lot of his players. I want to see him succeed. Again, it's not a great situation to come into just because of the form of, of Leeds United. It's a massive club. It's a fan. It's a huge fan base. Um, the expectations are maybe to the point of being unrealistic at this point. But yeah, I think it's a it's 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 a fantastic uh, opportunity for us as a as a nation. We're continuing to prove ourselves on the field as players, and we, now we've got a number of players playing in Champions League. They're young. We're going to continue to develop that, but we also need to add in that managerial side because again, from an inspiration standpoint, of players uh, or people becoming better coaches and just the development of that because better coaches is better players in the U.S. And so yeah, uh, it's it's. Uh, Remains to be seen how he does and what kind of support he has and what the purpose is of hiring him. But the fact that he's getting this opportunity, I think, is a huge signal uh, for, for the U.S. And hopefully he does well with it.
So uh, I have a call to action to everybody watching, listening, especially if you're a Leeds United fan. I'm going to ask Heath Pierce right now. They're not in the bottom three. In fact, there was something that Marcelo Bielsa never failed to do with Leeds, never in the bottom three. Um, you know, whether it was the championship or the Premier League, of course, this is only their sophomore season. But will Leeds stay up? Uh, yes or no? Why for yes and for no? Heath Beer, straight away. Man, yeah, I think so. There's just too many teams down there that are struggling right now. Obviously, Newcastle's climbed out, but I think Brentford are in poor form. I think Everton are continuing to struggle, finding their feet a little bit. But when I look at Burnley, Watford, and Norwich City, yeah, Watford get a quote-unquote result versus Manchester United, and they've got a little bit of signs of life, but something would have to go really wrong for Leeds not to be able to continue to grab a few points along the way and stay up. Yeah, so I'm asking that again. Will Leeds stay up? Why for yes and for no? I'm saying yes. I have belief in Jesse Marsh. I Listen, the other things, obviously, is the squad was, the, you know, just cursed with injuries, Pat Bamford, etc., you know, but I think I do I just a few little tweaks with Heath Pierce, and I really think that hopefully it can be amended. And let's not forget that they're still, you know, they're not in the bottom three right now. It's Norwich, of course, uh, you know, Watford and Burnley who are still doing their thing and trying to climb out of it. But, you know, they're still Everton, as I mentioned to you two weeks ago, I'm still worried about that. Natalie thinks Leeds are staying up. I'm very excited for Jesse Marsh. He's a good man. I just hope that Leeds United fans are patient with him because you're not going to get complete results at the beginning. Obviously, there's no time to waste, but I think he's a good man. He's going to be able to, at the very least, shape you off the ball, especially yeah. when opponents are entering your final third. Because I think that was the biggest issue, Heath. Like You had Leeds fullbacks uh, just going full pelt, and then Rafinha was lost right in the middle, and there was nothing to track back to, nothing to cover. Jesse Marsh is going to be better at that. Yeah, they're definitely injury depleted. They've they've had a lot of luck go against them uh, or a lot of things go against them. They've had a lot of bad luck this year. And I think he can step in and give them just that little bit of structure that's going to make a difference, right? Uh, they were very comfortable to just play wide open. And there's probably at this point in the season, a number of players going, how is this a way in which we're going to go about getting results? That Jesse Marsh can step in and just give them some structure, give them new parameters, new guidelines, new guardrails for them to play within. And hopefully that's the difference for them because we've seen their ability to attack. We've seen their ability to score goals, but we also have seen in recent, uh, especially this month, their ability to just give up goals endlessly uh, like they've neglected. Hey, we should probably get tactical from here on out. And I think Jesse Marsh could provide that, but a huge opportunity uh, for, for, for the American manager. And for those who don't know Jesse Marsh, uh, even before he's moved to Europe, uh, a short stint uh, with the national team, but a massive one in MLS, specifically Chicago Fires, as well as Chivas. Um, he went to Princeton as well. Um, our friend uh, Grant Wall knows him well, too. Uh, but from a management perspective, he started as an assistant with the U.S. in Montreal Impact. The New York Red Bulls, the family there, that's where he moved to Salzburg from 2019, stayed there for two seasons, then Leipzig, and now Leeds United. This is a smart, young, willing, aggressive, a man wanted a lot by the USMNT, I think, in many ways, right? Not necessarily now, but definitely appreciated by everything that he's done. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does in the Premier League. I, for one, welcome it as well. All right, well, listen, final thoughts, Heath Pierce, as we say goodbye, my friend. It's the end. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure to follow Heath Pierce on Twitter, Instagram, Follow us, Kegolazo Pod, LME, LME Chegaray, 
on Twitter. But thank you so much for watching and listening. But before we go, final thoughts, Heath Beers, on anything. Yeah, uh, Ajax lost to go ahead Eagles in the Dutch uh, Eredivisie. And so wow. that, that, that title race is back on three points separate PSV Eindhoven and Ajax. Obviously, Ajax are, are, are still in Europe. And so they've got themselves uh, a lot to prove and a lot to, to, to sort of get done in the coming weeks. So I wanted to flag that as sort of my only other uh, thing going on. Obviously, again, in, 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 the, in, the, in the American or Bundesliga landscape, uh, Ricardo Pepe, no goals. But they did get a draw, Augsburg, against Dortmund. So their, their chances of staying up are, are, are still there. I think uh, – and Pepe did start, apparently, according yeah. to – he started. Yunus Musa uh, started, and 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 they won. Uh, Valencia won. He seems to to help them out quite a bit. And so, yeah, uh, a mixed bag. And Christian Pulisic, I thought, was relatively positive in the uh, in the in the Chelsea match. Should have finished his chances if we're going to hold him to the highest standard. He should definitely finish his chances. But looked active and comfortable, and almost uh, uh, back to his full confidence. Provided a lot as well, specifically yeah. for Kai Havertz, etc. Well done there. My only final thought is Villa win finally. Excellent stuff there. Ollie Watkins, Tyron Mings assist, uh, and Matty Cash. Cash rules everything around me, baby. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Kegelasso Pod on Twitter. We are also on YouTube. We are so close to 10,000. You better help us get there. We're so close. Heath Pierce, he'll be back as well, by the way. USMNT hour on Monday and so much more with Jimmy Conrad and the rest of our crew. We have a lot of really fun things coming up, including Coppa Italia preview, as well as some good interviews and so much more. And then in two weeks, Champions League. Don't forget to follow us everywhere we just mentioned. Subscribe to the pod, share the word, spread it, do whatever you can. Have a great rest Sunday. Heath Pierce, thank you so much, brother. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great Sunday. See you next time. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.